Hello, everyone, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a competitive 40K podcast that helps you to improve your skills and abilities in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on my left, the good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Greetings. And on my right, the evil podcast host, Joshua Death. Yoeth. Yoeth, indeed. Welcome back, Yoeth. Yeah. It's, it's been a little while since we've gotten a Yoeth, but I'm glad to see he's finally returned. Right. <laughs> he's back. How's everyone feeling following up on LVO here? We all just got back from the tournament and are still kind of in recovery mode, I think. I have one very large opinion of a certain model in the game that needs to be burnt up in a fiery blast of death. The Warhound? Uh... It's called the Castellan, and less it exists, the happier I have. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Warhound for one-third of the price is, in fact, the unit that Chaelin is referring to. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially after they saw what that top eight composition was, were not thrilled. Well, it's like, it was that way at Nova, it was... It stormed the ETC, and it stormed LVO. I'm like, this and, this thing needs to be dead. And SoCal, and BAO, <laughs> and several other majors. I mean, this is, let's, let's be honest with ourselves, this is like the, what, like, fifth major this year within this past, like, six months that the, the Castellan has just been absolutely dominant at. It's been this way since late summer. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're closing in on what a few more months here, and we'll have a full year of Castellan dominance. That's not great. I, it's not healthy. Um, it has basically eliminated all sorts of mid-range tank data sheets. Yeah, yeah. If you're a tank and you don't have a at least a five-up invuln, preferably a four-up, you just don't exist. Yeah, exactly. Either that or you have the ability to bring like five of them. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, five of them, and and also like be prepared to lose them all by the third turn of the game too. Yeah, exactly. It's just not a fight. I mean, you did see Eldar flyers getting played, but only because they're at like minus one, two, or three to be hit. Um, yeah. If you can reduce the Castellan to be a six up, then yeah, it's okay to be in a vehicle. But anything less than that, and it is very, very hazardous. Yeah, no, it kicked my Dreadnoughts off the table, which has still made me somewhat bitter. Well, it's kicked a lot of vehicles off the table. Um, and that's, that's, I think, a thing. A lot of people talk about how, like, well, there's ways to handle the Castellan, and that's true. Um, the Castellan certainly hasn't won every event, and there are lists that just absolutely ruin it. Um, but the existence of the Castellan and its dominance in the, the top slots of the meta have meant that there are just a lot of vehicles and a lot of units that aren't legal choices anymore. You can't bring them, because uh, they'll just die. And here's my worst favorite thing, is like, well, the Castell encounters Yanari. Yanari is also problematic, guys. Two problems don't really add up well. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not even sure I would go so far as to say that the Castell encounters Yanari, because Yanari are one of the few lists that can kill a Castellan in a single turn. Yeah. It is just too much and too good at what it does, and too resilient. True that. And it doesn't help at all that when GW, quote-unquote, fixed it back in the fall FAQ, they didn't really fix anything. Like, yeah, they made it so you only get to go full tilt for, like, three turns, but three turns is a really long time to have that thing staring you down. Yeah, seriously. And people were like, telling me, like, oh, Brandon Grant's Castellan died turn two. His guard won the list. I'm like, that Castellan did a lot of work in those first two turns, I promise you. Yeah. And took a lot of firepower. Yeah, and that's the the thing to remember, is even when you do kill a Castellan, that's probably your whole turn, or two turns, or three turns. Yeah. I mean, which, which exactly, I'm sure, Brandon would consider the the trade that he made, the sacrifice of, of killing that, of letting that Castellan die to, quote-unquote, let the guard win the game for him mm-hmm. was uh, a trade he'd probably make ten times out of ten. Well, uh, that's actually a really good point, and it is the subject of our episode today. Sacrificial units. Every unit is sacrificial when you get right down to it. Even a Castellan. Even a Castellan. 
We're going to talk a lot about a bunch of different philosophies of sacrificing units and why you might do them and how you might sacrifice them and all that sort of thing. But the point I want to lead off this whole episode with, uh, and it's really kind of just restating what Josh said right there, every unit in your army exists to die. Mm-hmm. This isn't, we're not playing D&D. This isn't a role-playing game. This isn't a, a computer game or whatever. Your units all come back at the beginning of every game. So it doesn't matter if they die. And, you know, maybe it makes you feel sad inside that your HQ got killed in that combat, but it's not like it has any lasting consequences. We're not, this is Necromunda. Um, your units dying has no long-term consequences. So if you can achieve something by, by letting them die, you should. Mm-hmm. There's actually a, uh, a quote that I feel is very relevant and is a, an in-universe quote. Uh, for those of you who, d- who don't like the thought of your units getting killed and you feel like it's somehow kind of sacrilegious or whatnot, I don't actually recall where the, the quote is from, but... Can I yeah. say it? Okay. <laughs> Mostly because I'm an Imperial player and you're not. Uh, that's not true. I'm building an Imperial army right now. You haven't has finished. Of, yeah, but it has lots of Slanesh models in it, just like an Imperial army does. <laughs> uh, the quote is, Your life is the currency of the Emperor. Spend it well. And I yeah. believe it's from the uh, Donna, the Dark Heresy books somewhere. Could be. I don't actually know where the, the quote is from, but it's a fairly common one. Um, and I think it, it, it should epitomize the philosophy you have when it takes your units. Is like, the points you pay for those units, you're buying them to do things, and they often die in the course of doing those things. So don't be afraid to let your units die. Mm-hmm. Josh, do you have anything you want to add on to that sort of philosophy of the, the general use of sacrificing units? Um, the, the big one, and I'm going to kind of piggyback on top of you on this one, is kind of going back to what I said at the very beginning, too, is Literally, the moment you, you start putting a lot of effort into protecting a single unit in your army over another or trying to keep something alive over another, ask yourself how much, how many resources you're putting into keeping this alive and are those resources costing you the purpose of the victory? Yeah. Or are you spending more resources than you're getting out of keeping whatever this is alive? Because at some point, no matter how much you love whatever it is, or how much you like whatever it is, or even how much damage potential it has, if you're wasting those resources, then at the end of the day, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's actually a really good point. This whole thing is sort of about the calculus of resources. And some of your resources are units, and some of your resources are command points, and some of your resources are board space or time or other things. Uh, but it's all about the resources you invest in those units and what you get back from them. Because at the end of the day, what you want to get back is victory points. Um, that's, that's kind of what the game is all about. Uh, but you, you have to choose when and where you spend those resources, because the resources you spend protecting one unit are ones you won't have to protect your other units. Exactly. Um, my kind of epitome thing is a little quick game story. I played against a Harlequin's list as I stuck my entire Granite Outrider in front of it to slow it down for two turns, because I kept it in a back corner to let my seraphim just kind of cross the table and destroy everything. Mm-hmm. That is literally how that game went. So I throw away 836 points to win that game, and it was fine. But, yeah, it's. I think if there's any player out there who wouldn't spend 830 points to win a game, they're a madman, because what else are you bringing them for? Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit, because it's, it's kind of a, a thought I've had before, uh, and I want to put the question to both of you, and, and I'd like to start with Shaylin here. How many points would you lose from your army, and it's just sort of a vacuum hypothetical, in order to gain a single victory point? I'll easily throw away 107, because that's a basic strike squad. I will expend a basic troop choice in a heartbeat to get it. Okay. Josh, what about you? What's your What's your kind of ratio? For a single point? Hmm. A single victory point, how many points would you be willing to lose to gain that? Are we, so I have to caveat, I have to ask, uh, are we looking at the single victory point in a vacuum? Yeah, obviously this, this is such a complex thing that like in a real game there's a million other considerations, but. Yeah, exactly. Just sort of in a hypothetical, like. 
just like if I had to do a one for one, right, kind of thing. How how would I make a trade? Mm-hmm. Um, two hundred. About two hundred to one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would trade two hundred points for a single victory point. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting philosophy because you'll notice that Shaylin's number is obviously a bit lower than Josh's. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm guessing both of you based that off of taking a, a particular unit. Um, in Shaylin's case, explicitly so. Like she said, I would trade a troop squad, a strike squad in her case, for a victory point. Uh, I'm guessing that Josh's 200 points also represents squads that he regularly sacrifices for a victory point. Yeah. I'm probably somewhere a little bit higher than Shaylin, but not by much. <laughs> um, I would probably say about 120, but I also plan to play armies that are very shooting-focused. Um, so I don't, I tend to give up a lot of victory points and just preserve my firepower, mm-hmm. um, and then try and recoup all of those victory points on turns four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to a combat-based army is obviously going to try and have much more attrition in gaining those points. Exactly. Shaylin plays a, an army that does have a lot of attrition and tends to get in and score a lot of points early on. Yeah. If it's not doing that, it's not doing its job. Yeah. Um, in fact, you can kind of it, it, see this in a lot of the score sheets that uh, we we have. Is like typically when Shaylin and I play a game, she's ahead in the early turns of the game, as she'll often like turn one f- score like four, six, or eight points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the game goes on, like that number slowly curves down, and my victory points kind of keep climbing steadily. Uh, so she might be ahead on turns one and two, we're kind of tied on three, and then four, five, and six I tend to pull ahead. Yep, um, and that's... At least in the games that I win. In the games that I don't win, I usually don't score any points on those turns because I've been tabled. Yes. <laughs> that, that's kind of how the games work. Is like, is Sean tabled? Yeah. Then he didn't win. <laughs> um, but you can you can see the, 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 the trade there is that you often will literally make that exact choice of how many points worth of units am I willing to give up to score a victory point? Um, in many cases, it will be by sitting on an objective. Uh, I'm going to put these guys over here on this objective. I have the bottom of the turn. That guarantees me a victory point. And then my opponent's going to shoot them, and they're going to die. You've thrown away some points of units for a victory point. It is a pretty literal trade. Um, yes. Uh, there's also the notion of sacrificing units is just sacrificing its engagement in the game. A backfield unit. Yes. Um, sacrificing unit does not always literally mean killing them. It sometimes means placing them in where they just can't do anything anymore. Yep. Exactly. I have a 45-point sisters unit that I don't put upgrades on explicitly because their job is to sit in a backfield objective out of line of sight all game. Yep. You, you sacrifice them to hold an objective, and even though they don't literally die, they are functionally no longer part of your army. Exactly. They, uh, they earn me 6 VP. That is their job. Yeah. And if you think about it from that perspective, 45 points for 6 victory points is an absolute steal. Like, how could you ask for a better deal than that? Yeah. True story. The flip side of all of this, and the thing that I want to call out as being just the worst, and I know this is a pet peeve of Josh's specifically, is the fallacy of making back your points. Oh, God, I hate that argument. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, Josh? I love hearing you talk about this. So often I, I get in these conversations with people like, well, what do you think of this unit, blah, blah, blah. And then, and I'll be like, oh, well, I like the unit. You know, kind of does this, this, and this. They're like, yeah, but I'm just having a hard time making my points back on it. And the moment they say those words, I just get frustrated. Because that this it's under this notion of, well, I've, I've spent 300 points on this unit, and if I don't kill 300 points worth of stuff, the unit's worthless. It doesn't do its job. And I'm thinking to myself that, that there's there's so much taken out of context in that argument. It's like, it, 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 just example, that, that Sisters of Battle unit that Shaylin just mentioned, I guarantee you 90% of games, it kills nothing in the whole game. doesn't kill a damn thing. Mm-hmm. But it has probably won her more games than you can count because it sits on an objective and doesn't go anywhere. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so is it making its points back? No, it makes up zero points every fucking game, but it wins the game. So does it, I mean, are we really equating it based off how many points it killed? Yeah. And I think that's the real flaw in your thinking, is people thinking of, I have to kill my enemy, or my enemy's army to win the game. That's not how you win the game at all. 
Um, this is why we talk about trading points of units for victory points, not trading points of units for enemy points. Exactly. And also, sometimes a unit, I've had Grandmaster Dreadnights, for example, just absorb an entire enemy's worth of shooting. Yes. And uh, that that's worth something. I'm like, I'll expend that unit in exchange for having everything else live because it just absorbed all the bullets. Well, that's that's fantastic tempo play right there. Mm -hmm. uh, when your opponent spends their entire turn shooting at one of your units, you haven't killed anything literally, but if you think about it from a tempo perspective, your opponent has wasted one-sixth of their army, because you only get six turns, mm -hmm. trying to kill your unit. And maybe they kill it, and maybe they don't. I mean, if they don't, even better. Mm -hmm. But even if they have killed it, they've lost one-sixth of their firepower, of their absolute maximum firepower, and you've lost one unit. That's a great trade, because you probably did something other than lose that one unit on your turn. Mm -hmm. um, so you're really kind of like doubling up on them. You're, you're doing a ton of work. This is part of why units like the Castellan, even when they don't kill anything, are still very valuable, because your opponent is putting so many resources into dealing with them, you're gaining a lot of tempo and a lot of board presence in most cases. Yes. Yep, that's exactly did you have anything more you wanted to add on that sort of making points back idea, Josh? I know this, this is your personal little thing, so... It is, it is. Because, I mean, a prime example, just like you were mentioning a little bit ago, uh, the uh, a similar concept to the list I was running this past weekend at LVO. You know, the, the Plague Barrier unit is a prime example, is a perfect example. Yeah. Of They probably don't ever kill shit. They'll, they'll, they'll barely kill anything through the course of the game. They might kill a couple models if they're lucky, but they're not in the list to kill anything, but they hands down win me nine of my ten games every single game mm -hmm. because their presence on the board, either tying up units, refusing to die, holding objectives, speed, yada, 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 all of those factors come into play into what make the Plague Bears the backbone of my list, mm -hmm. but they don't kill anything. Really, they don't kill a damn thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That entire analogy is completely moot when, when even referencing my list. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, in fact, I would go so far to say is Plague Bearers are one of the best examples of a truly sacrificial unit. Yep. They, they really do just exist to die. Mm -hmm. And they don't ever achieve, in terms of killing things, yeah. anything, honestly. In fact, a lot of times they don't even need to have a board presence. Like, Plague Bearers do their entire job just by being there. They don't even need to get onto an objective in some cases. Yes. Exactly, and that is what my list relied on, solely. Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting list. Uh, I saw a number of people talking about it and, and kind of puzzling over how it functioned. Um, Me too. It, that's something we'll probably go into in a different episode, is talking about how lists like Josh's work. But they rely on an entirely different mode of play than sort of the usual shooty and assaulty lists do. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that said, you know, kind of when you are sacrificing, you do need to be careful about losses because you can over-sacrifice things and then you have the problem of not having units later. Yes. Um, just because you're willing to sacrifice units, like we were talking about with the, the points value you're willing to sacrifice, you shouldn't be willing to sacrifice a thousand points to gain one victory point. You want to sacrifice as little as possible to gain your objective. Mm -hmm. But you are probably going to have to sacrifice something. Um, you, no player goes into this game expecting that every model in their army lives through every single game. <laughs> that's, that's completely absurd. Um, well, if you, I guess you could almost equate it to like currency, just like the concept, uh, the quote that you guys shared at the beginning. Yeah. If you look at the points in your army as currency, right? So I start the game with $2,000 as an example. The question is, just like when you buy anything in life, what are you trying to do? You're trying to buy it for the cheapest you can buy it for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if that point is going to cost me so much of this currency, I want to buy that point for the lowest price I can pay. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just go willy-nilly and be like, oh, I'm going to spend $500 on that point. Why? Because I really like that point. <laughs> No, you're going to try and spend as little as you possibly can to get that point. And that's, I guess you could almost look at it just like that quote says, as, as a currency. Yeah, it's, I think that's actually uh, great in a way to think about it is, like, you do want to get the best deal you can. Spend your currency well. Exactly. 
So, yeah, actually, and actually that leads into another really useful point that Shaylin made, is that if you spend your, your units too early, then you're kind of wasting them, um, because, like, you gain victory points on each turn of the game, and you're typically limited in how many victory points you can gain per turn. Mm-hmm. Um, in ITC, like, the primary mission only has five points per turn. You can't gain any more than that. Exactly. Um, so, so conserving some of your units for later turns is actually very important because you need to score on those turns as well. Yeah, no. You need to score at least two points to stay in the game. Yeah, if you're not getting two points per turn, you're in pretty dire trouble, I would say. Uh, that That's called Shay has lost the game. She knows it. And yeah. it's just kind of <laughs> flailing her arms and having a la-la-la moment. Well, a lot of people get to that, that stage late in the game. Uh, winning or losing. Mm-hmm. There was a couple points this weekend alone where... Um, I actually sacrificed units mm-hmm. not to gain a point, but to deny my opponent getting points later. Yes. Sure. I had, I had, there was quite a few times where I had units like, I had this unit down to one or two models, or I had this unit in a position where it was going to die literally sometime soon. And my opponent had already killed more than me, and there was no way I was going to change that. Like, they'd already killed two or three units this turn. There's no way I was going to get above that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, then rather than giving the opportunity to get easy kills over the next couple turns, I'm going to let them die now. Oh. So that their choices of getting a kill next turn or even kill more next turn is that much harder for them. Right. And so I willingly, there's a couple times in the tournament where I just sacrificed a couple units. I'm going to charge them into that guy knowing they're going to die. Why? Because it's going to take away their extra points the next turn three or turn four. That's actually a really kind of clever ploy is, yeah, like if you know that your units are going to be a detriment because there are units that are going to be detrimental to your army to have them. Um, I actually ran into that in a number of my games with the Inari list um, where there were times when my Storm Guardians were a negative in my list. I didn't want to have them. Liability. If there was some way I could have gotten rid of them and just pulled them out of the army, I absolutely would have. Mm-hmm. Yep, my nerg- my nerglings were that every game. My nerglings were that every game. All I was trying to do was trying to hide them in a way to keep them from dying. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, understand that you know not only are there units that you are willing to sacrifice, but there's some units you want to sacrifice uh, yeah. in order to get them out of the way. Uh, you'll see that with units that are just an easy kill, like those nerglings Josh had, or my guardians in some cases. Um, you'll also see it a lot with units that can be trapped in combat if you're playing against a melee army. Um, oh, yeah. Jeans dealers love to hug something, and no matter how unimportant it is, just so the rest of your army can't get to them. Yes. We'll get into that a little later, because I one of the things I like to do is specifically destroy my ar- units with Vortex of Doom, because it hits everything within three inches. Including yes. your stuff, I have deliberately killed my own units to unlock things that my opponent thought they had locked. Well, that's that's a and that's actually an almost an entirely separate uh, category of sacrifice. Uh, but it is like yeah, like Shaylin says, kind of like it is a unit that is being a detriment to you because it's locked in combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is the specific example you were referencing. Yes. Um, and by destroying that unit, you free up the rest of your army to take actions that they otherwise couldn't. Yep. And that's obviously pretty big. So. You know, not only do you have sacrifice to a goal, but sometimes you have sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Blew a unit off and then killed all those gene stealers. Very sad Tyranid player. Yep. <laughs> uh, so always think about how, whether how units can benefit you and also how you can remove a detriment when you're thinking about sacrificing. Because sometimes you can sacrifice a unit that is a detriment to gain a benefit. And that's like a double whammy right there. Yeah, well, my opponent did the thing thinking he was going to be safe, and then I blew it psychically off the table, and that was a sad shoe for him. Yep. Well, I think that is a uh, pretty good introduction to the topic of sacrifice, so why don't we head on over to the Quartermaster, get ourselves a little bit of lunchy lunches here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the sort of goals you have for sacrifices, and why you might do each of them, and how you might do each of them.
Board Gamers, are you looking to do conversion of your dreams but just can't find the right bits, probably because they don't exist? Gaiman with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well, those dreams can become reality with Vritaforge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen, happen. Vritaforge can be found through Facebook, that's V-R-E-D-A-F-O-R-G-E, like Forge Worlds. Contact her, and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. Vritaforge, make all of your wargaming bits dreams come true. And we're back to talk about goals, uh, specifically your goal in sacrificing a unit. What do you think you're going to gain out of it, and what are your potential gains out of it? I'd like to make an analogy from art school. Sure. And this is the delineation between Jackson Pollock and your third grader with a marker. Mm-hmm. Jackson Pollock did all those really cool splatter paintings for context people who don't know. Is intention. He deliberately created those splatters such that they have a right side up. Mm -hmm. And so when you translate this metaphor to 40k, your actions should be intentional. That was That's what breaks a good general from a bad general. Sure. The, the difference between they killed my gene stealers and I sacrificed my gene stealers. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um... Whenever we're talking about sacrifice, it's not about the loss of the unit. The loss of the unit is the cost you pay. It is the unfortunate side effect, um, in most cases anyways. Uh, the goal should be something else. Um, so, I don't know, let's break this up into a couple of broad sorts of goals. Um, what, what, what sort of goals do you think you, would you guys typically have if you were sacrificing a unit? Shailen? Well, obviously, protecting characters. Yeah, um, I usually run character-driven lists, is what I like to call them, where, like, Smash Captains, for example, there's a lot of potential and oof in that one little guy. Yes. Keeping, keeping him from getting shot is important. One of the interesting features of 8th Edition is that characters can be so incredibly influential by their lonesome, that a single character model can potentially deal as much damage as an entire unit. Uh, and that's not something that was true in other editions. Mm. So having a unit around to protect a character and often to be sacrificed in order to protect that character um, is incredibly valuable. That's why horde units like conscripts or cultists or plague bearers are so important to many armies. Josh, you got one? Yeah, actually, I was. Uh, I, I kind of want to go back to that concept of using my points as a currency. Yeah, and that. If me spending these dollars or points, okay, if me spending these points is, and I'm spending these points to gain something, either victory points or I'm using it to block one of my, one of my personal go-tos, mm -hmm. the thing I will, I will jump to sacrifice for on many occasions is to control my opponent's army. Yeah. To control how they get to use most of the time move their army. I will sacrifice units over and over again to control how they get to move their army because when you take the control away from them it puts you in a major control uh, uh, such a strong position to be able to influence the game yeah so for me when i look at that currency i look at after i get done spending these points am i going to mourn the loss of my points or am i going to cherish whatever it is i bought there you go that's a really good way to think about it and that's kind of the way i look at it if if me if me spending these points is going to wind up with me kind of quote unquote having buyer's remorse then maybe i'm going to reconsider spending that that money mm -hmm. but if what i'm spending is going to get me what i want and that's what i need then i'm going to i'm going to focus on that i got what i wanted not that i lost this not that i spent the dollar but that i got the, what i was after I mean, who mourns paying a dollar for a candy bar? No one, no, no one sits there crying over the dollar bill they loved so much. While they're eating their candy bar. Exactly. <laughs> it's what you get out of it, not what you spend. Exactly. Uh, and I think that, think about this the same way. 
Uh, I also want to backtrack on, uh, you talked about like controlling the enemy's movement, and that's something we've touched on a lot of times before, but good players win the game in the movement phase. Yes. Um, if you if you look at some of the really top-end players, your Brandon Grants, your Nick Nanavadis, your Matt Roots, they're players that often are masters of controlling the movement phase and the charge phase and moving models around on the table. Yeah, uh, blocking zone, blocking uh, what I like to call speed bump units. Sending yeah. something there to slow someone down and buy yourself a turn. Yeah, yep. uh, we saw a lot of this in the finals of the LVO, um, where uh, Alex Harrison was using his flyers to control where Brandon Grant could move his models to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and contra-wise, Brandon was also doing it to Alex by using his guardsmen to prevent Alex from being able to move into certain positions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a streak that goes both ways. Uh, but that's incredibly fundamental, and as Josh says, like it, you should be 100% willing to sacrifice units. You see it against knights a lot, um, mm-hmm. or at least I certainly have. I, am, I don't know how much the two of you have experienced that, but knights can't walk over units except in the combat phase. Mm-hmm. Um, so blocking off u- movement of big units can be extremely powerful, and you don't always have to sacrifice much. Like, a single character can stop a knight from moving down the pathway between two buildings. Uh, or better yet, the little Biofor Spore thingies? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite Man, example. you talk about a talk about a good buy, zero dollars to stop a knight from moving? How are you going to do any better than that? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, like, don't just think about uh, victory points and killing. Also think about movement a lot. That is an incredibly important thing to control, um, albeit you're, that's not necessarily your goal, because you don't actually care about how your opponent moves their units, you care about what they can do with those units once they've moved them. Exactly. Um, so that goal of, of blocking is really sort of a, uh, a progressive goal towards stopping them from moving on to an objective, getting in range of a psychic power, or something like that. Uh, also, a, uh, a another kind of blocking movement style thing is charging something that should survive the turn long enough to force them to fall back. Yes. Because that's a turn-off technique I've yeah. used a great deal. Um, I mean, a lot of people have, you know, done these sort of, like, I'm going to charge your, your big tank with guns to stop it from doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be units that are entirely capable of fighting in melee. Uh, Josh, I'm sure you've done this with your plague bearers before. All the time. That's almost my most, it's the most popular thing I do with them. Yeah. Um, just running those guys into someone's unit and just like, well, now you've got to fight me. Um, you're stuck here. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a long, slow grind for you. Yeah. I'm actually a huge fan of what I will do is I will charge in a unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will only make a single model of that plague bear unit in range of the enemy unit. Sure. But every other unit will still spread around the unit and be just over an inch away. Oh, yeah. I will then do my pile in, which I won't do. I'll swing with my one plague bearer that's in range to swing, Mm -hmm. which will do pretty much nothing. Yep. And then everyone piles in and surrounds them and gives them a big Nurgle hug, and no one gets to go anywhere. Yes. (laughs) The the infamous tri-pointing or hugging. Yes. um, That makes makes those uh, guys immune to any shooting. Um and oftentimes will leave your enemy without the ability to do anything else to the rest of your army. Yep. Yep. That's probably my favorite tactic. It's it's a great tactic. And in that case, Josh is sacrificing his unit's ability to deal damage by keeping all but one of them out of one inch from the enemy. Um, and in return, he's ensuring that he stays safe from enemy shooting. Um, so not only can you sacrifice units to destroy enemy units, you can sacrifice them to gain victory points, you can sacrifice them to gain board presence, but you can also sacrifice them to gain immunity to shooting or other things as well. Yeah, or or, or the whole countercharge thing. Well, if I've charged you, you can't charge me. It's true. Because um, units that fall back can't charge, and yep. I can't tell you how many times I've done something where I've tagged something and they fall back and they go to charge something, I'm like, you can't do mm-hmm. that. Yep. Even if you have fly, you don't get to charge when you fall back. Um, turn that shield captain's charge off for a turn. And the uh, the flip side of that, the way I often think of counter charge, 
is to have an expendable unit, something like a unit of cultists or some other little garbage squad, in front of something scary like some Bolgren. Mm -hmm. um, and sure, you can charge and kill those cultists, but then those Bolgren are going to charge you and destroy you. That's their job. Yep. Bad touch. And, yeah, that's controlling charges is a very, very legitimate use of sacrificial units. Uh, because we talked about this in some of our other episodes, but the person who gets to pick where and how the charges happen is often the person who wins the game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another thing is reserve control. Like, the scouts out yes. in the middle, like, oh, hey, Nick, you want to drop all these big orc guys down? Well, I just took midfield with a bunch of scouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that delays your orc charge by two turns. Good luck. Yeah. Um, it's it's more common with shooting, I find, but it also happens with melee a lot, is if your opponent has units in reserve, you can make a 27-inch gap between the rest of your army and where those units are allowed to come down with a single line of dude. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that gives you incredible control over what they're allowed to shoot and what they can hurt. Um, and if you're not willing to sacrifice five or ten scouts in order to ensure your opponent doesn't get to shoot at your army at all, like, that's insane. That's super efficient. No, oh, they need to reevaluate your spending habits. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Another thing is those, back to those units of scouts, I set them on an objective, you know what that happens? My opponent now has to shoot at them. Mm -hmm. That's the bullets they are not putting into my Grey Knights. Tempo. We've talked about it before. Taking tempo from your opponent is extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of also plays into our protecting other units, that if they're forced to get rid of those scouts in order to deal with them because they can't let you have that objective, um, that is drawing fire away from your other units. Uh, and and that's, that is protecting your other units kind of by proxy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Josh, do you have any uh, other kind of sacrificial strategies that you find yourself using a lot? Yes. Uh, it's not nearly as often as probably use others, but uh, I will quite often sacrifice units to force my opponent to turn, uh, to, to steer part of their army. Oh, yeah. Favorite one of mine is you take a unit that is big and scary, you know, ooh, flashy, and I will drop it in my opponent's backfield. And to be fully realistic, 90% of the time when I do this, if they just continue to go forward... They probably ignore the unit, mm -hmm. but they don't because it's a big, flashy, scary thing, and they need to go kill it because it's in their deployment zone. And invariably, half their army turns around to go kill it, and in so doing, they end up giving up half the table and you win the game. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because then they have to go all the way back, kill it, and then turn around and come all the way back into the table, and by then, you've already scored enough points and the game's over. Right. Yep. Uh, we talked earlier that you don't necessarily have to kill a unit to uh, sacrifice it, um, by the same token, um, sometimes you don't have to kill an enemy unit to essentially render it null. Mm -hmm. um, and if his units spend a full, what, two or three turns running halfway up the board and then halfway back down the board and then halfway up the board, like, you don't care about those guys anymore. They've wasted most of the game. Exactly. Uh, uh, that is a... Back to Josh's talk about dropping something in the backfield... I had a glorious moment where I stuck a unit of ten interceptors and a smash captain back there turn one, mm -hmm. and my opponent decided to ignore them at his own peril because those all that units moved twelve inches and they just kind of wrecked his backfield line, and then he had to run back there and deal with them. Yeah, and that is the danger and why you can't always afford to ignore that. Um, but it's like we've talked about before, you want to give your opponent two bad choices. Either, you know, A, you leave these units alone and they claim your entire backfield, or B, you turn your army around and kill them and now your army has lost a ton of momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those are going to be very painful choices, and a good player will understand how much they need to turn around and be ready to dedicate that, mm -hmm. um, but that is an opportunity for your opponent to make a big mistake. Um, and this is one of the reasons that uh, reserve strategies and having units who can sort of get around the board either by teleporting or by coming out of reserve or whatnot is extremely powerful because it forces your opponent to be uh, kind of to split their attentions. They always have to be considering, like, there's a unit that could show up anywhere my opponent wants and do whatever they can. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and often that unit will die because you dropped it in the opponent's backfield right amongst all their stuff, 
but it will often occupy a lot of their attention and delay their game plan for a turn or two. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you need. Yep. Well, in a six-turn game, I mean, a turn or two, you're literally talking 30% of the game. Yes. Um, that's it's, it's absolutely huge. And if you haven't already, we, we highly recommend you listen to our tempo episode. We spend a whole episode talking about this concept of buying time. And honestly, we need to do another episode or two about it at some point because there's so many things we miss that other people have pointed out. Um, but yeah. time is one of your biggest resources. And anytime you can sacrifice units to gain time or to make your opponent lose time, you're probably in a pretty good position. Yeah, no. Um, cute little Grey Knight trick is the, you can get their characters to have effectively two-up invulns. Mm-hmm. There's an amazing amount of things that can't chew through a two-up invuln, especially if you're one spin a CP to reroll one of them. Yep, you're buying yourself time. Yeah, no, I, I had a Brotherhood Champion just hold like four squads of Wolfen back. Mm-hmm. was cute. And that's a big chunk of your opponent's army that is not doing anything else in that time. And I used 92 points and 2 CP to do it. Perfectly worth it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we've talked about a lot of different goals, but just to kind of bring things back around and, and summarize, that there are a lot of different goals you can have when you're sacrificing a unit. Um, as we just said, that you can buy time, you can buy points, you can sacrifice a unit to destroy units from the enemy army. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't talked about that a lot because pretty much everyone already kind of knows about that one. It's like, it, it's a real easy thing to be like, yes, I sent my smash captain towards his vehicle and it killed it and then he killed my smash captain. And like, that concept of sacrifice is not new to anyone. No. Uh, even though it's something that you, we all use just constantly in the game. That's the whole, the way the game plays most of the time. Chess 101. Yep. Exactly. Trading, trading things with your opponent. Um, But there are a lot of other goals that you should be thinking about, and you should always be thinking about what you can gain by sacrificing your units and what your goals for the game are, because we're not playing chess. Um, We're not looking to just trade model for model with the enemy. We're looking to gain victory points and win the game. Uh, If you lose every single piece on your chessboard, except for the one that puts the enemy in checkmate, you're okay with that. Yep. And you should be the same way in 40k, that if you can score more victory points than your opponent by sacrificing your units, you always, always should. Exactly. How's that? I don't know where I was going. I lost them, I thought. Yeah. Well, maybe you sacrifice that thought to gain a victory point, you know? <laughs> it's a good trade. Just run with it. Yeah, I, I'm, if, heck, if I could sacrifice a thought for a victory point, I'd be doing it constantly. Sometimes, sometimes during a game, I got too many thoughts. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that explains my entire first marriage. <laughs> I don't know if anything can explain your first marriage, but so many thoughts sacrificed. <laughs> yes. I, I was going to go back and do the uh, end of episode exercise suggestion. Oh heck yeah! Yeah, yeah, the thing I like to do. Shaylin's tips. Yeah, sure. Shaylin's tip for applying this stuff. What I would recommend doing here as the exercise is you look is when you move units and you're intentionally doing something. You go, okay, I'm going to, this unit is going to die, and I'm going to get blank, blank, and blank out of it. And just try to mentally learn what those blank, blank, blanks are. Mm-hmm. Just, Figure out what it is you're gaining when you make that play. Yeah, like, I lost a unit. What did I gain out of that? Sure. That's the exercise. That's that's not a bad way to think about it. That's probably a good way to uh, kind of mentally prepare yourself. Is like, well, they're going to kill this tactical squad... But I gained a victory point because it was sitting on an objective, and I forced his tank to fall back, and I did this other thing, so I'm really okay with this. Yeah. Uh, because I think that is a really big point. We touched on it at the start of the episode, but a lot of people are, feel very reluctant to sacrifice their units, and that's something you need to get past. Good players sacrifice their units constantly. There, Brandon Grant has had several different interviews on several different podcasts recently, and he is really good about this. So I 100% say go listen to the Chapter Tactics episode he's on. Go listen to the Best in Faction episode he's on, because he talks a lot about being willing to sacrifice some of his units in order to achieve goals. And that's 100% what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, a really good uh, uh, kind of piggyback on top of that, Shay, would be... If you guys really want to uh, both see good examples and also kind of have have a, a, a lesson or workout 
to be able to work on these these uh, these decisions, mm. go on the various websites out there that have the like the Twitch channels for Frontline Gaming and some of these other big events that'll stream their top tables or the top you know the the top two games for the end of the tournament or whatever, mm-hmm. and watch the games, watch the games, watch the LVO final if you haven't already, and try and spot and figure out not only like okay when something looks like there was a sacrifice play. Spot the sacrifice and then, and then do exactly what Shay just mentioned. Mm-hmm. What was the gain? What was the price? The real price, not the, not the obvious linear price of that unit's dead or whatever. What was the real price and what was the gain? And look at that on both sides. Look at both players and try and, try and learn to spot those. Cause if you can see them, if you can see them as they're happening, that'll make it to where then you can see them before they happen. Yeah. And that's to the point where you want to make that decision. Yep. Yep. Um, that's, and one of the really nice things about watching a stream like that is you can kind of watch it from both players' perspective, where that's very often hard to do in your own games. Oh, so true. Exactly. And you can, you can pause and take notes. You can do this with your friends. Yes. This is a perfect group activity. Yeah. Uh, have a couple buddies. It's, I mean, it's one of the reasons I like to join a lot of these Twitch streams. Um, I watch through the CanCon streams. I've been going back and watching the old, uh, Biff Pod stuff they had from the Charity Hammer, even though I played in some of those games, they're still good to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but going through these and talking with people either during the event or after can help you see a lot of things you might not otherwise. So 100% go ahead and give that a try. Mm-hmm. Well, then I think that does wrap our episode up. If you have comments, questions, or uh, even a list you want to have us take a look at, uh, or maybe uh, an episode subject that you think you'd like to see covered, you can contact us through email in the finest hour at gmail.com. Uh, you can also contact us over our Facebook page, which is in the finest hour. Uh, you can message us or post to the, to the page. We'd be perfectly happy to do either one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think we're doing a great job and you'd like to give us a little bit of money to support us, we have a Patreon which is in the finest hour, that for $5 a month, you get access to a Discord channel as well as a private Facebook group where we laugh, hang out, tell jokes, post 40K memes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and also help people with their lists quite a bit because, I mean, that's what happens when you get a bunch of 40K players together. They talk about lists. A lot. Yes. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, I think. Um, and as of this month, we've got a, a couple of new Patreons, um, both of them European. And I've actually, when I was looking at the numbers, we have quite a lot of European supporters. So I'd like to give a big call out to all the guys over in Europe. Uh, we have a ton of them from Britain, as well as from Germany, the Netherlands, Sweden, all the kind of the Northern European countries. We've got quite a lot of folks up there. So I'd like to say a big thanks to all of them for helping support us. Thank you. Uh, Thank you all. A ton. And I will specifically call out our two new Patreons, uh, Bar Dijkstra, um, who I'm not sure I've ever met before, so I apologize if I've messed up your name, and Gerard Malapart, who I believe is familiar to Shaylin, and I've seen that name as well. He was an ETC, wasn't he? He is from the Netherlands ETC team. Yeah. Uh, so, thank you very much to both of you for helping support the podcast. That's what allows us to purchase the equipment and pay for all our hosting services and whatnot. Uh, we're not getting rich off this, but we do appreciate not having to go further into the red than we absolutely have to. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And also, we have a number of upcoming events. Uh, Josh, you're going to a pretty good-sized tournament next weekend, aren't you? Yeah, actually, I'm going to defend my title at the Barry Bash next weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to see if you can rip that Dark Eldar crown out of uh, Skari's hands. I am going to try. He's actually the one hosting the event, so... Yeah. It'll be, it'll definitely, it's a great event. Last year was phenomenal. It was amazing. Uh, Scary puts on an amazing event. He's such an amazing guy. Um, he, he has rapidly become one of my favorite, uh, 40k friends that I've, uh, uh, met in the, in the community. And, um, I love going back up to his event. I, I I'm very much anticipating this. So it's good. I'm really looking forward to it. He's a fantastic dude and you are bringing a weird as heck list. You got that right. <laughs> So it'll be it'll be hilarious. Or anyone who's uh, gonna be there or wants to check things out, I highly recommend taking a look at it afterwards because Josser's list is just gonna blow you away. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, also, 
if you become a Patreon, you can see Josh's lists. Yes. Josh uh, likes to post his weird-ass lists. Yep. We we do indeed. We also we often all talk about whatever weird new creation we're putting together. Yes, very much so. Become a Patreon. You can become uh, get in the inner workings of our insanity. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that same weekend, I'm going to be at Dice of Fury up in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, just a little RTT, but we're going to have, sounds like a fair number of pretty good players from the Northwest there. So it should be a real blast, and it's a great little store. Uh, yeah, Fate and Fury and, Games puts on a great show. I'm, yes. I'm busy, and I will not be able to go because I will be at the CK Studios in Sherwood, Oregon at Glimpses of Wonder and Warfare. Yeah. The oh. other really good gaming store in that area. Yep. Uh, well, one of several other, honestly. Portland is kind of spoiled for them. <laughs> uh, but all three of us will be out at various events, so if you can catch us at one of those, then it would be great to see you. We love saying hello to any of the listeners. I, I love hugging people, so free mm-hmm. hugs. Free hugs. She does. So does Nurgle. <laughs> yeah. Well, unlike Nurgle, I don't get you sick, and... True story. I clocked in 45 hugs at LVO, so ha! That's a pretty good count. I wasn't counting. <laughs> you don't hug people as often as I do. No, I don't. <laughs> what, Sean? You're not a hugger? No. No, as it turns out... Hugging involves touching people, and just people are... Uh, I am shocked. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? People? Ugh, right? Mm. Fun fact, I've never hugged Sean. <laughs> I tried once. I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, beyond that, um, I'm going to be traveling down to Orlando, Florida. I'll be hanging out there from around March 20 to 26th. Um, haven't been back to Florida in quite a number of years, so that'll be an interesting experience. Um, if any of our listeners are from the Orlando area and know where the, the game shops are these days and where would be a good place to hang out, I'm kind of intending to bring a, a small little army to have fun with there. And I'm about two decades out of date on knowing where any of the stores are, so I'd love some recommendations. And I'd love to get a game in in the evenings. I'll probably be pretty busy a lot of days, but I'll have at least a little time for 40k, because of course I will. (laughs) I'm also going to try and make the Wet Coast GT up in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Uh, That'll be towards the end of April. Uh, I did not not get time off to go. Oh, sad. Yeah, well, Shay's schedule was a little awkward right now, so uh, barring some sort of miracle shift change, that's probably not going to happen for her. No. Bummer. But both of us are looking going to Storm to Silence, which will be coming up in May, and I'm sure Josh has a bunch of other tournaments coming up in those next couple of months as well. One or two. Yeah, that is, that's kind of how we roll, so we'll continue to give you the updates on those as they come a little closer in. Uh, good note is I did get the Google cam- Calendar working on the website. There will be a link oh, to okay. our Facebook group, so Excellent. we will be updating the events. Yeah. Or at least events we would tentatively like to go to. Yes. So you can see the events we love. Yeah. Awesome. That's actually really good. It's Because well, there's a lot of really good events that are around the area here, and even if we don't get to go to all of them, we like to raise awareness for them. Yeah, no, uh, we don't charge people to advertise events on our podcast because no. yep. as TOs ourselves, that's that's just something you don't need to spend money on. It's all about, yep. yeah. It just helps the community. It's 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 very much about building the community. That said, if you are TO interested in advertising your event here for free, let us know. I'd like to give my thanks to Dank Muse, who does the music for the intro, outro, and intermission of our show. Baller! Yeah! Yeah, he's it's pretty rad stuff. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our amazing art and just being a general uh, badass of a person. Yep. Total dude. I agree. And I'm definitely, I'd love to throw it out for anyone that is, you know, interested in uh, throwing us a little support or uh, wanting to advertise if you have a business or uh, um, some other, you know, 40K related community uh, driven organization. Uh, feel free to reach out to us either through email in, in the finest hour at gmail.com or feel free to reach out to any of us on Facebook. And uh, we would love to be able to talk advertising opportunities for you. Yeah. Uh, so, I think I am on clock for a list of the week this time. Ah, your turn. What you got? All right. So, this one is, is actually kind of interesting because it's not a new list. It's a list that has been around for a little while. 
and that I've seen it a number of times, because um, the first time I saw it, I was a little skeptical, is that the some of the ETC armies were running something like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw it again at CanCon, the, the big, really big tournament that they're running down in Australia, at one of the top tables there, uh, and finally saw it again at uh, LVO and decided that, you know... Then there really must be on to something here because this is not a real standard list, but it seems to it keeps showing up and it keeps doing well. So I think it deserves a call out. All right, um, all right, stop leaving me suspense and spit it out. Right. Well, I'm going to give you one more suspense because this is an Ultramarines list. What? Almost entirely pure. Boom! Drop the mic. Yeah. Um. Not quite. Uh, so this particular iteration was run by uh, Mr. Aaron Towler, who some of you may be familiar with. He was oh, oh. one of the pretty good players at LVO, did quite well, even if he didn't quite make it all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my fault. Yes, it unfortunately was. He was such a great player. I want to point out, I want to just say a caveat here, that Aaron won... He is, he is a phenomenal guy. He's a great player. He's a great guy. And he and I, we were both completely exhausted going into that game. Mm-hmm. And even with us being exhausted, we had a great game. We had fun. We were laughing, just having a good time tossing dice. Uh, Aaron, it was a phenomenal list. I mean, truly, truly a phenomenal list. Like, Sean, you're going to go over the list, and everyone's going to look at it, and we're like, okay, yeah, it's okay. No, 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 no. Yes. The, the nuances and the intricacies of this list are were, were pretty awesome. It even caught me off guard. It was amazing. Um, but Aaron was an amazing pilot and a great guy behind it. I just wanted to throw that out before you went over the list. He, re- he really is, and this is part of why I, I wanted to go ahead and pick it. Uh, so to clarify, this was your... You had to play the seventh off-round at LVO, so this was your seventh round guy? Yes, this was... This was my round 6.5 guy, yes. <laughs> awesome, okay. Uh, so, uh, Aaron's list is surprisingly simple. Um, it starts off with a mixed space marine detachment. Mm-hmm. Um, almost entirely ultramarine, so I'm just going to call out the one unit that is not an ultramarine in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, he's got a tech marine, he's got good old Sergeant Cronus, mm-hmm. uh, who's the guy who hops inside one of your tanks and gets to make it extra special fancy. Mm-hmm. Um and then in his troops, he's running a nine-man unit of interceptors. Pimps. A seven-man scout. Are these intercessors? Yes, intercessors, the Primaris guys. Yes, and they were the most amazing unit in the entire army. Yeah. Um, Hands down. He's just running them with the basic bolt rifles, but it turns out that's actually not a bad gun. AP-1 is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he's got a seven-man scouts, which are his only non-ultramarine thing in the detachment. They are Black Templars, so they can get that denial stratagem. Clutch. Um, and then he's got an extra uh, five-man scouts with sniper rifles and a heavy bolter, um, and I'm betting he's using that heavy bolter mortal wound stratagem off them quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, then he runs a trio of Predators with autocannons and heavy bolters. Uh, mm-hmm. And two of them have hunter-killer missiles, because he probably couldn't afford the third one. Mm-hmm. And then he runs a pair of Repulsors, the uh, not-quite-a-super-heavy, the Flying Land Raider, basically. Oh, um, the Premier's tank. Yes, that is kitted out with just a trillion goofy little guns. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, it's surprisingly tough, and it throws out a lot of shots, even if I don't like the model very much. Mm-hmm. Um, he then runs... And it flies. It, it does have fly, which is incredibly important. Um, you don't realize quite how problematic that is for a lot of lists until you actually run up against it. Uh, I saw a Tyranid player running into that in CanCon on one of the streams, and Gene Steelers just don't kill that thing. It's got a two-up armor save and toughness eight. Mm-hmm. So good. He also runs a patrol of Blood Angels with one Smash Captain and a basic unit of Scouts, just so he has a little bit of countercharge and counterpunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, he runs Mr. Remote Gilman himself to give the bonuses to all of those Ultramarines and also to the other guys in the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if they don't benefit quite as much, they get the, the benefits as well. Um, so, he's got a list that throws down an incredible amount of DACA, those Predator autocannons will just shred tanks, and between the Predators and the Repulsors, he throws an incredible number of shots out. 
And you can't really get all that close to it, because between the Smash Captain and Yemen, most things will die if they even come tr- try to come close. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, Geeman. Oh, yeah, they do. So, that was our list of the week. Uh, I hope you all found it instructional, along with the rest of the episode. Next week, we are going to have a very special episode. Okay. That is, it's Shaylin will be appearing alone, and neither Josh or I will be on that episode, because she has two incredibly special guests with her. Yes, we will be having a Ladies 40K night, where we'll be talking competitive 40K female gamers, talking competitive female 40K. Yeah. Uh, I believe you have Eleanor. Uh, Eleanor Byler. Um, yep. she's from originally from Seattle area, now out in Australia. Uh-huh. And then we have Jessica Bowman, who has been number one female in the ITC for the past two years, stealing that title from me. Oh, and she also took uh, Best of Corsairs this year, I believe. Yes, she did. So, uh, uh, not did... to mention putting out some pretty good performances with Necrons earlier in the season. Yes. So uh, Jessica's quite good. She's from the Bay Area, I believe. Yes. Or Southern California. She's a Californian player. Yes. I kind of rounded off as really far away south after right. a while. I'm an Oregonian, forgive me. That whole section down there. So, so uh, yeah. I think that'll be a, a really exciting episode to listen to. I'm going to be very interested in hearing what they have to say afterwards. And I'm sure Shay will get some good conversation out of the two of them. Yeah, no, it'll it'll be quite fun. Um, so tune in for that. That's going to be our very special kick all the boys out and have ladies just do it. Mm-hmm. Show us how it's done. Sounds awesome. So, in my final useless stint as your host, I am Sean Morgan. I'm Shaylin Allen. And Mr. Death. Thanks for listening to In the Finest Hour. Bye.